Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as a screenwriter, a TV journalist for At Forbes, At Screen Rant, and others, a podcaster, creator, dreamer, not so much a lover or fighter, though. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Meryl Barr. Yay! I mean, um, so wait, what was the, what were the three qualifications? It was, uh, it was exciting, opinionated, and what was the last one? Surprising. Surprising. Okay, so I can give you opinionated. That's about it. Like- <laughs> Meryl, you are you are at least two out of those three. In social settings, how do you introduce yourself? It's, I mean, it depends on the social setting. Like it, it literally depends on wh- wh- what crowd I'm talking to. If I'm in, if I'm in a room full, like tomorrow, I'm going to be in a room full of uh, other TV journalists. So I'll introduce mm-hmm. myself as a, as another TV journalist. But um, like, if I'm just around, you know, just, you know, it's, I say writer, it's just easier that way. And then, you know, I can get into, <laughs> I can get into the specifics at that point of what kind of writer I am. But sure. uh, I just start with writer and then, you know, let that expand out. Even even then, I usually just, the truth is, how do I introduce myself? Hi, I'm Meryl. That's it. That's usually how the conversation goes. Do you find yourself in many social settings other than professional ones? No. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's part of the problem of living in Los Angeles. Um, I've com- actually complained about this fairly recently that uh, LA is this city built on its work ethic, except its work ethic sucks anyway. Like the, the, it's funny how <laughs> it's, it, it has a sh- the city itself has a really shitty work ethic, which is funny considering it's a city built on the work. Um, and the problem is that you really, it's really, really hard to establish a good, healthy re- uh, relationship with people when they aren't professionally based and they're even worse for people my age. Cause like I've made a lot of friends with people who are like in their forties and who are, or people who are like married and are in their early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, but people my age are like mid twenties, just moved out and trying to make it in the entertainment business. Like those people, those people are the worst people. Like the, I, all those people out here, minus one or two exceptions I've met out here, are terrible human beings. And it's because they, uh, <laughs> it's because I've I've said this all before, so I'm not saying anything. I so I don't mind saying it here. Sure. Uh, and this thing is, when you want to talk about things on your Twitter feed. Like I went, I went off on a, I went off about this a, about a month ago, and I was like, people out here who are my age. If they look at you and they don't see a way they can use you in, to their advantage, they have want nothing to do with you. And then if they do see a use for you and then you suddenly stop being of that use, they will cut ties with you. But then the other thing that happens is because Los Angeles is so spread out and you visited here, you know the city. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's so spread out. Um, it makes it hard to just really get together with people, uh, you know, just to hang out. Like I'm from New York, right? 
In mm-hmm. New York, you are, the entire population. Let's. I'll go with New York. I'm not. I didn't grow up in New York City, but I'll use this as the example here. In New York City, uh, if, we're, if we're just talking about the five boroughs, you know that entire population is pushed into what amounts to about a ten to fifteen mile radius. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that makes it really, and it's all accessible via this really well constructed it's not always maintained very well but a very well constructed um uh public transportation system and what that means is that you can call your friend and go on a, on just a random wednesday and you're let's say you're at work and they're at work and you go hey dude what's up you want to go like get a drink tonight sure where do you want to go this place that's over on you know 32nd street mm-hmm. and they go cool so i'll see you there at six and then you can just go there and that's it and you just go and you hang out. No one's driving, so you kind of don't have to worry about you know traffic. You don't have to worry if you're drinking, which you don't have to worry about. Really, you don't have to worry about driving at that point. Um, it just makes social gathering easier in Los Angeles. It's you know we're all so spread out to the point where that 15 mile radius doesn't cover anything. <laughs> and you know, 15 mile radius in Los Angeles, you're barely you're barely touching the the the, the vast areas of the city, and. Uh, and then there's also parts of like, you know, Santa Monica, which is not, technically not Los Angeles and Burbank which is technically not Los Angeles, but they're all considered part of the greater Los Angeles area. Mm. And uh, so if you're in Burbank and someone and you got a friend in Santa Monica and you say, do you want to get a drink? Well, that's an excursion for either of you because either they're coming to you because <laughs> to go to because for one to go to the other is could be anywhere from an hour to hour and a half drive on top. And that's just the drive there. On top of which, you say, let's meet in the middle. Well, then you got to find a place in the middle. And the problem is meeting in the middle means overcrowding because everyone wants to meet in the middle. And so that's – and then you got to find parking. Like the amount of things you have to go through to have a, to do, have a social gathering in Los Angeles makes it really hard to – because if you don't go to those social gatherings, it's hard to find new people to go on social gatherings with later. And so, like, that's something that the atmosphere of New York always created for me was the ability. And I never took advantage of it, but uh, I know it, I knew it existed, uh, was that you could meet people. Like, it's really, you just meeting people in LA randomly is damn near impossible. I found they've been here over a year and a half. And I, I say that was just like, that's kind of just how it is. And it's like, so when you ask, you know, do I hang out with people in a non professional setting? Not really. Almost everyone who I hang out with when it's not work-related is someone who I uh, view as a colleague. Like I'll meet other writers who mm-hmm. I know or other uh, or other journalists for like uh, dinner. But we're mostly ju- like very – I'm very, very – there are very, very few people who I meet just for the sake of hanging out with them. And it's it is depressing. Like I don't think it's a healthy lifestyle. Just from a <laughs> just from a uh, you know psychological standpoint, I don't think it's very healthy. Do you think that it's the geographic definition of New York that has forced it to be um, more of a community than Los Angeles is? Like uh-huh. if you were to uplift New York and put it into a space equivalent to the the broader LA basin, that it would just do that. Yeah, hundred percent. Because I've had friends who I'm not. Uh, see, the problem is it also because of that that isolate. Because the problem, all right, I've said it like this: everyone in the globe wants to live in their own little bubble. That's kind of just how it works. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to, you know, take care of me and me and my own. In Los Angeles, you can do that 
and not have to act like there's a world outside of your bubble. In New York, you can you can folk you can live in your own little bubble, but you must acknowledge there's a world outside of that bubble. Or you're gonna get pushed off a subway platform by accident because you're gonna <laughs> knock in because you're gonna knock into a pole and fall off, fall into the tracks. Like yeah. you have to acknowledge other people are around you and they exist. You don't have to like it, and maybe you're an asshole, but you still have to acknowledge there's someone there. Um, in Los Angeles, because we all drive cars, so we all drive. You're all driving ourselves places. We don't deal with the public very much. You walk around. There's no one else on the sidewalk. You know, we all live super spread out from each other. That isolation really screws with your head, and uh, it creates a person who kind of doesn't acknowledge a world outside of their own, even just in passing, just to say, "Oh, you're another human being that's there." So I will walk around you because you are walking in my path right now. Like they'll just, that person will just be like, oh, there's something in my way. I'm going to walk through it. Like that's kind of how it goes, which is just, and so what happens is like I've had other friends who, because of this, because of the way the town operates, because they're like, I can live in my own isolation. I don't necessarily like it, but I, through years of living that way, because I didn't grow up with many friends. I can, I'm used to my own isolation. Other people aren't. So like I've had friends out here who the city turned so cynical because they were so isolated. They didn't know, and they couldn't find a way out of it. So they eventually got to the point where they started treating me like crap because the city just kind of made them a crappy person. Yeah. And then they ended up, then they would cut ties with me. So like, you know, that's, that's the kind of world I'm living in right now. (laughs) Hey, exciting, right? (laughs) (laughs) How do you maintain uh, your mental health in that situation? Um, that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, well, like I said, I'm used to it, so Mm -hmm. I've I've been just look. When I was growing up, I was the kid who got picked on in high school, in but a lot by I got picked on by the kids who got picked on. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I was that I was that kid. Um. And so I, you know, I went into this mode of always on my computer. Like the funny thing is the dawn of social media has made it feel not as bad. Like when there was no Twitter or no Facebook, Mm. uh, I felt really, really isolated. But I was just like, this is just how I live. So that's how I turned to television. It's like, oh, oh, look, now I want to work in television. I wonder if those things are related. Um, now the thing is like today, I don't feel that isolated because I'm always like, I had a friend call me out on this very recently where he made a tweet and then I replied to it and he goes, you're always there. You're like, you're always replying immediately. And I had to like, and I always knew this would come up one day and I had to explain, it's like, it's not that I'm stalking you. It's just that I'm always reading Twitter. And the reason hmm. I'm always reading Twitter is because I live in by my, I, you know, I live by myself. I don't have any roommates, so I'm by myself all the time. And by being myself all the time, I have nothing else to do but read Twitter. And it's the only way I can talk to the outside world is through Twitter. Now I've met a lot of good people through Twitter, and I've and I have gotten coffee in real life with people I've met on Twitter. Like mm. Twitter has this is a great. I mean, I'm actually really glad I'm doing your podcast now because I can actually <laughs> talk about this. Um, <laughs> Twitter has allowed me the ability to meet and discuss and interact with people 
and just have social interaction with people. It may not be in person, which sometimes is great and sometimes is shitty. Um, but it's like there, I don't know if you ever saw this, but a guy who worked for, I don't know if he still works, but a guy who worked at The Verge did an experiment where he said, for one year, I'm going to cut ties with the internet. Um, I'm going offline, as he would say. And everything he did, he had to do in person, or he basically he had to call people on the phone. He had mm. to, you know, he had to write physical letters. Everything he did, he could not do wow. uh, online. And what he found at the end of it, like you watch this video of recapping his year like that, and he looks like a fucking bum. Like he, <laughs> his, he let his he lets his hair grow out. He looks like he he hasn't seen the sun in weeks. He, you know, he talks about how he was gonna write a novel. He got you know three like three chapters in at the beginning, but then it lost all interest. And what he found was, by not being on the internet, he became a far less social person. By not having access to Twitter, by not having access to email, Facebook, he felt like he was separated from the rest of the world and that he uh you know and that you can't in today's world you kind of have to be online to interact with it the great thing about twitter is like i'm interacting with you you're from freaking australia steve Mm, like you know what i mean like i don't know you without twitter you know i Mm will yeah no i don't know you without twitter i met you i may have met you in person but we wouldn't have come together with it if if not for a thing that the internet created which was the podcast um because we met we met for the first time last year at la Podfest. um but you know and then we got to but we we didn't really get to know each other uh until we both followed each other on twitter and then just started like interacting and then that's how you and I sort of got to know each other. And that's, I can say that for pretty much, by the way, all my friends in New York are friends are mostly people who I didn't really get to know until I left New York. <laughs> and we started, cause they, something, there's a great thing where people who live outside of Los Angeles, who have never been, want to pursue a career in LA are really supportive of you. That's the fascinating thing. Uh, they will – so like when I moved to L.A. to pursue screenwriting and this TV criticism thing and all the shit I do, everyone in New York was like, yeah, go Merrill. Like, fuck yeah, you do it. And uh, they're all like really supportive and they're all cheering me on to make shit happen. And I become closer friends with them even though they're 3,000 miles away because of things like Twitter. Because I can talk to them. I, I I don't live around them and I don't get to see them and I don't get to party with them, you know? And that's a bummer. Yeah. But I talk to them every day. And that, it, which makes, so I don't, I live isolated in, in, in the real world. I am very isolated. But online, you would never, but if you were only reading my Twitter feed, you'd never think that because you see me interacting with people constantly. And it's because I am, I think I am craving it, uh, some modicum of connection or attention, but I'm getting it through Twitter, which is enough. Like just to, I'm, as long as I can have a back and forth with someone and I know that person's real, then it's okay. You know, it kind of makes it okay. For me, anyway, I still go out. Like, I'm not. It's not a shut in. I go outside. I go to after this and going over to the gym. I'm not. I go out, people. Like, I just. But I. I. I don't see a lot of people. 
Like, just I don't go to hang out with people in real life. And I know that's a problem, but Twitter makes it not as bad. <laughs> for this uh, writer that did the story for The Verge, the end talking about it, he went offline and, and, you know, 12 months became a bum. Do you think that in his situation or anyone that tried to do that, if after 12 months they had become more disconnected from their friends – do you think that's a reflection on the caliber of their friends? Uh, I you know, I don't think I don't remember if the video I don't know if the video posed that question. I don't remember. But but the thing is like I don't compl- I don't blame having been in this situation that, that I think that dude was probably in. I don't necessarily blame his friends because I know like with the friend that cut me out, for example, like the friend I was talking about before that yes. shut me out, that seemed to become more and more cynical as the, as they became more and more isolated because of the city. That wasn't for a lack of trying on my part. Like I would message and say, do you want to go get ice cream? Do you want to go to a movie? Do you want to do this, that, and the other thing? And they come up with reasons to not do it. And I know that feeling because I used to do that. I used mm. to be that guy, and I still I still am that guy a little bit who looks for reasons to not do something. But but the thing is, once I could, but they were also people where they would cancel all the time as well. Uh-huh. Like I would, I'm someone who I'm a great friend to have in this respect. When I make a plan with you, I follow through on that plan. And if there's a day that comes where I truly have to cancel. Believe me, there's a good reason, and I tell you what the reason is. I don't give yeah. you this lame ass excuse of "Oh, I forgot about this thing." Like it's no, I check my, I keep, I check my calendar, I check my schedule, I make sure I, I have the date free. And the only reason I can't do is something really, really far, a thousand times more important came up. It's only happened twice in my life. Um, I try very hard to stick to my plans. And I think what probably happened with this dude was he was probably disconnected. He, he was probably disconnected. And what th- being disconnected also means is you're not getting a lot of like invites to things as well mm-hmm. because you're not getting Facebook alerts. You're not mm. getting – no one can if no one can reach you, you're not going to get invited to things. That's on you. That became, Then it becomes your responsibility to reach out to people and say, hey, is anything going on this weekend? That's on you. Does that not make us broadly the laziest generation yet in, in that if a friend of ours was, you know, not on email, Facebook, those kinds of things, that it would mean we'd have to call them or go and see them. And if we just cut them out because we were too lazy to call them or go and see them, isn't that us then? If you're going to detach from the norm intentionally, Mm. if you're intentionally going to detach from the norm, then some of the responsibility does have to fall on you. I believe Mm -hmm. that. You know, look, and I, I don't know what the circumstances were. Maybe the look, and I, like I said, I don't remember if the video even addresses. Maybe he did see his friends, and we, and we just, and I just don't remember that part of the video. I know what he looked like. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Um, and I, and I, and I know what he appeared like in the video from the year before that set the whole thing up, and the video that they put out after. Um. And he looks like two completely different people. So 
I don't like maybe his friends did invite the things and he had no energy to go. Like, I don't like, and, and, but also I'm sure that that guy didn't get invites to the weekly drink fest or whatever they were doing all the, yeah. like, I'm sure he got special, like special occasion. Like, Hey, I'm having a, my birthday's this weekend. Do you want to come? I'm sure he got those probably. But as far as like, that's the thing when you ask, what if they I, sent them via email? Maybe, but if if they were good, if the person's a good friend, I'm sure they reached out. But the thing is, what I'm, but what I am saying is, um, with, you know, we part of the whole hanging out thing comes. We, like I said, it's a, it's a lot about also. Also, this guy lives in New York City, so I don't. The thing about New York City hangouts is they happen on a whim, and they happen. They sometimes they use they happen on a whim. Sometimes sometimes they're planned. If it's a big party, they usually are planned. But if they happen on a whim, it's like I said, it's it's your text. You text your friend and go, "Do you want to meet for drinks?" And they go, "Yes," and it becomes easily accessible to do that. If this guy was not reachable, then it just may not like. Also, it may not cross the other guy's mind to be like, "Oh, right, I have to call him." It just may not cross. It's not even. I don't think it's even like a late. It, I don't think it's even like like a point where he's where the friend may be going. Oh, I gotta call him. Fuck that. It may just be a case of, oh, I want to do something this weekend. I'm gonna send out a Facebook blast to everyone and see who wants to go. Like that's what, like I'm sh- like it's not even cynical. It's just everyone's on Facebook. I don't. I don't think that's a cynical thing or a lazy thing. It's just. The, the, we live in a norm. The norm is one a certain way, and if you deviate from that norm, you're gonna de- you're gonna shut yourself out of things. How do you stand out in a crowd? I don't. <laughs> um, I have found I don't know why. I have found that people usually don't forget me. Mm-hmm. I think it's it might it, part of it. I know I do know part of it has to do with my name. Because Meryl is not a name you typically hear on a guy. So I know it's partly that. I know it's partly my voice because I have a very distinct high-pitched voice that I don't like but I live with. It's um, not that high-pitched, Meryl. It, it's, it's, it's more high-pitched than it should be. Um, um, but... I don't try to make people remember me. They just kind of do. And I don't go out of my way. I don't wear flashy clothing. I don't, I don't, you know, uh, make scenes. I don't do anything. It's just, they kind of, they just, I think it's those two things. They, they, they leave a distinctive impact on people and they're like, and, you know, and then they just kind of wait, Meryl, Oh, Meryl, that dude. Yeah. I don't remember that guy. So it's just, you know, how do I stand out? I don't try to stand out. I just, you know, end up standing out. But I am also very shy. That's the other thing is I don't want to stand out. I'm I'm a very, very shy person, which a which does not help the uh, isolation bit that we <laughs> just previously talked about. Um, yeah. I when I like when I when I get invited to things like drinks, which I rarely go to anyway. Um, I usually sit in a corner with a glass of water. Don't drink and don't talk to anyone, and t- and then occasionally I'll just walk up to like the friend that I do know, acknowledge my existence that I'm there, and then go back to the corner, and like do that a couple times and then leave. Like and then and then and then leave and then 
and then be mad at everyone else there because they didn't come up to me to introduce themselves. They didn't come up to the weird, the weird dude sitting in the corner. And I wonder why, like that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like that, that is, that is what happened. So I, I take full responsibility for some of the, some part for some of my situation, not all of it, but I do take a fair amount of it. Cause when I get into situations where I could meet people, I don't because I look at, like, I'm also a very critical person of people in certain situations. I'm not critical of them. Like, for example, everyone at LA Pop Fest, I met some good, I met some decent people. Mm-hmm. And all those people were nice because I knew immediately, like, all these people are at LA Pod Fest. I think they're all pretty decent, okay people because they're at LA Pod Fest. But, what if, but, but as for, like, if I get invited to a friend, like, okay. I got invited to a friend's birthday party and they wanted to hold it at a bar that was, that was themed as a uh, country uh, line dancing bar. Yep. And so we're talking cowboy hats and mechanical bulls, the whole nine yards. You know, everyone's in cow- – it was the whitest place I've ever been in my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and uh, I – Rode the mechanical bull. I talked to my friend, but that was about the extent of my interaction. I was the first person to leave. Once everyone showed up and we cut the cake, I was gone. Um, cause I didn't, cause I looked around and I was like, these aren't my people. Like mm-hmm. I, I, if I don't feel comfortable around these people, like, and I don't feel comfortable sometimes even around the people I know. Cause I, cause I'm not really part of, I, I have always, felt like I've never I've never been part of a clique and that is a problem because it makes it hard to interact with people. So I have a lot of stand-up co- comedian friends, but I'm not a stand-up comic. I have a lot of t- uh, uh, TV writer friends, but I'm not a TV writer. I have a lot of film writer friends, film critic friends, but I'm not a film critic. I have a lot I don't have a very very little TV critic friends who I know in person. Um or even any really. What do you mean, Meryl, when you say I have a lot of TV writer friends, but I'm not a TV writer? You are an I excellent know, TV writer. I know TV screenwriters. I have met TV screenwriters and I know TV screenwriters. You mean as I far know- as people that write, make TV? Yes. Okay. Apologies. Um, but I am not a TV screenwriter. I know these people. I talk to these people. I don't always hang out with these people because they are in a different class than I am. But I do know these people. I talk to these people on Twitter. But uh, uh, I am not one of them. I want to be one of them. And once I am one of them, I might feel more comfortable talking with them. But I uh, am not one of them right now. So I'm not in that clique. I'm not in, a film, I'm not in the film critic clique. I'm not in the entertainment journalist clique. I get paid to do that. But because I'm in L.A., I'm not around them. So like I've, you know, when I go back to New York, I'm welcomed with open arms every time, even though I'm not a film critic. They... Well, they, I get invited to their things. I go hang out with them. I talk to them all. You know, the great thing about the, them or when you, well, the great thing about being a clique and being around common people, like people that common, people you have a common ground with, mm. uh, not common people like, you know, but it's that mm. the, the great thing is like, if you're, so if you're at a gathering of let's, let's stick with, uh, let's go with um, uh, podcast fans. Okay. Cause that's something you and I can relate to. Sure. If you and I are at LA pod fest, and we're at the gathering out in the patio, okay? Um, 
everyone's eating, everyone's having a good time. The great thing about that group is you can like have, be having a conversation, have that conversation fall off and start, just go and join another conversation. Well, I can do that with the film critic people who it's just like, we're talking and then I'm moving around the room and I see another group of three people and I step in there and we all, I end up just part of the conversation and I drop off and like, you can do that. If you're not in a room where you share common ground with people, like I was at this birthday party, I have nothing to talk about. No one wants to hear about my exploits and I don't necessarily want to hear about theirs because I'm not interested and I can only fake my interest for so long. And so, and so, you know, I'm not, not civil. Like I acknowledge, like I said, I acknowledge I exist. I say hi, but then they'll start talking with like, so like three people will start talking and I'm at the table, but I'm not saying a damn thing. And I'm just kind of just waiting for an excuse to slowly back away back into that corner. Hmm. What happened the last time you had your heart broken? I've never, uh, I've never been in a relationship, so I've never had my heart broken. <laughs> um, you don't I've, have to be in a relationship to have your heart broken, do you? Uh, I've had friendships that dissipated. Uh, so I don't know if that's heartbreak, but it's something. It's probably the closest I've come. Uh, the, mo- the most recent one was pretty, uh, yeah, I guess you could call that heartbreaking. It, but heartbreaking in a different way, mm. um, for sure. But this is a person who... I watched this city destroy. Um, mm. And they aren't, and I say, don't say that where I'm like, they didn't fall into alcohol. They didn't fall into drugs. They didn't fall into anything illegal or bad or, or stupid. They fell into this rut, this, like, this social rut where they were a very, they're a very chipper person and they just, they became more and more cynical and harder and harder to talk to. And then they, you know, we would talk via text and then all of a sudden they just decide, they just, they, it was almost like they, 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 I, we would, we made it, I made a joke to them. They read the joke the wrong way. They thought I was being serious when I wasn't as happens all the time via text. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But then when I or found Twitter. right. But then when I found that out and went to apologize, they they had cut me off completely, and when you when they they you have to look when you block someone on Twitter, Facebook, block their phone number from your phone. Uh, when you do all those things, you are actively doing it. It's not like it's not like an angry state of I'm blocking you on Twitter, as once happened, and then was unblocked. This is a person who actively went out of the way to like you like they. So when I found this out and tried to apologize, they didn't even want to hear from me, which says to me, this is more than this. This is about more than that one joke that one time. That You don't do that out mm. of the gate. It's, it was a building thing of they just like wanted to make their isolation complete is what it felt like. They wanted to just be like, well, I can't find anyone new to hang out with, so fuck you. I don't even want you either. Like that one hurt. Sure. What was that revelation like for you to discover that you had been cut I, off? I guess well, yeah, cut. digitally shut out of their life. Uh, it didn't feel good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt. Uh, it didn't feel good. It felt just. 
I don't know. I was I was bummed. I was bummed for a few days. I'm still. I mean, this and this and I'm talking about something that happened fairly recently. I think within. I think this all went down like less than a month ago is when I found out all this stuff. Um, and uh, I remember when I found out, I was talking to their partner who was mm-hmm. also a friend of mine, who I am still friends with, who I do still talk to. Um, <sighs> and uh, you know, they uh, they were just like. You know, you should apologize. And like, that's what that was when I found that because this is also when I found out that uh, that I had pissed them off the wrong way by mm. accident. And uh, and they were just look, uh, apo- you just apologize. Them when it blows over, just be more mindful of, of you know the things you say to them. Um, and uh, um, but I couldn't, I couldn't even do that. Um, it was just. It was. It was just. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just weird. It just felt very strange, and, you know. And I was talking with other people, and they were like, "Well, if they want to do that, then it's for the best." I'm like, "It doesn't feel like it's for the best. It just feels shitty." You know what mm. I mean? Yeah, yeah. What are you going to achieve in the next twelve months? Oh God, I have no idea. I know what I want to achieve in the. Here's the thing. I know what I want to achieve. I don't know if I'll achieve it. It may take longer. Like the biggest thing I, there's two big things I want to achieve. Yeah. I love to find representation for my work. I sure. would. Yeah. Okay. An agent, a manager, something, someone who could fight for me inside the way I can't from the outside. Okay. I'd love to find that. I've gotten close once or twice. You know, that's the beauty about living in LA is you are, you are around that world and you can access it. Um, so we'll see. The thing that I do want to do that I think will happen in the next 12 months is finding steady work is finding is getting out of freelance and getting into full-time writing work somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know where in the next 12 months, I do think that will happen. And that's not to bemoan freelance. Freelance has been very good to me, but freelance always reaches a point where it just kind of dries up after a while. Especially right now, we're kind of living in a state of a lot of sites are getting bought out, so a lot of the parent companies aren't really authorizing new hires. And the sites that I do have are changing in ways that some are good, some are not, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree with all of them, and it may get to a point where I just kind of go, I need to I need to find a place I can set myself up permanently. Uh, for, for, for however much longer I'm going to do this, this whole journalism thing, uh, which I never intended to do. It's just something I fell into that I'm good at. Um, I don't. I'm kind of getting tired of doing it freelance. And if I'm going to do it freelance, uh, people need to start paying me better. Like that. Uh, one of those two things has to happen. What I want to do is get in the next few months or sooner is get into a state of reliability with my income, because mm-hmm. then it would allow me the ability to live life a little like part of part of what fuels my isolation is me always going oh i shouldn't do that thing because i have tv screeners i should watch uh-huh. the truth being that i don't need to watch the screeners at that moment but it'll use it as an excuse to get out of something but if i but i but it comes also stems from well i should watch that thing so i can review it so i can get paid to write it up but the truth is that it's not going to make a difference. Um, but if I have a stable income from like a, you know, from like a regular job, like a regular writing job where I'm on salary, 
Well, then that yeah. excuse goes out the window, and I'll, it will force me to just be like, "Well, I'm okay. I'll go to the, I'll go to the stand up open mic thing that my friend's doing, because I have no reason not to." Like, uh, you know, I will. It's not. I don't. I'm not someone who commits and then bails. If I commit, I'll go. But I am someone who is hard to commit things for. So it's like. I'm very selective on the things I'll say yes to. If they involve groups, I'm not always going. That's on me, but it is the truth. Uh, If it's a one-on-one thing where someone says, do you want to go get dinner? I'm more inclined to go do that than I am uh, to do a group thing. Wow. Well, Meryl, thank you for sharing all of that with us. That's, man, that's a great conversation. I, I really appreciate you and I appreciate you sharing that. When are, when, are, are when, are, when are you doing the episode that turns the tables on you and someone has to ask you all these really personal questions? Probably about episode 100. We're a long way off. Okay. Uh, you are highly valued and I really appreciate your time in sharing this with us. Obviously, you are on Twitter. Do you have any other social media accounts that you want to own up to? Not social media. Can I plug my podcast? Sure. All right. So you got the Twitter, which is Twitter.com slash Meryl Barr, M-E-R-R-I-L-L-B-A-R-R. All my writing runs through there. Podcasts. Uh, I've got, if you're a fan of Orphan Black, uh, I've got Clone Club and Orphan Black Podcast. I do it, as I mentioned, my friend Perry Nemiroff. We may be doing another podcast uh, soon, but I don't want to announce it until we're definitely doing it. Uh, and Which is saying, so I don't want to announce it until I have a name for it. We haven't named it yet. Um, yep. And the other one is called Artist Alley. Uh, which is uh, which I'm trying to get, st- which Steve was supposed to do. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, asshole. <laughs> we still can. Uh, we can't do it. Well, when next time you're in town, we can. Um, yep. But I, I, it's all about creativity. It's all about uh, I interview people mostly. I interview TV writers and showrunners because those are the people I have easiest, I have the easiest access to. But uh, I'm trying to expand it out. But it's all about uh, how we use creativity in our daily lives to solve to do things. And uh, what does that mean to the people I'm interviewing? Uh, so I talk, you know, and so check that out at artistallypod.com. It's a really great show. Right now I'm on break so I can record more episodes. Uh, the most recent one went up uh, at, on September 6th. So it's, it's not, it hasn't, it's not like it's been a long break. Um, I do them about like 10 to 12 episode runs basically. Um, and uh, the most recent episode was with Hart Hansen, who is the creator, was is the creator of Bones. He doesn't show run it anymore. Uh, I also created Backstrom and uh, The Finder on Fox. Um, I've also had on guys like Joe Carnan. Uh, people who are fans of Steve would know these names. Uh, Will Anderson, uh, famous community, famous Australian comedian, mm-hmm. Will Anderson. Uh, Greg Barrett, Dave Anthony, Gareth Reynolds have all done the show. Um, Steele Saunders has done the show. I'm just telling you like Australian people. So those people, like, yeah. check those episodes out. Those, are all, those guys are all done the show. This has been Humans of Twitter. And I can confirm that at Meryl Barr is indeed human.